All right, let's open our Bibles to three different places, if you would, please. Come to Exodus chapter 25. And you can have that in your left hand. Then Exodus chapter 29. You can get that in your right hand. And then in your third hand, you can get Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll begin reading at verse number 13 there. All right, Exodus 25. Let me also thank everybody for praying for Bortman and Connie this week. They had the funeral Friday for Connie's dad. And what a testimony that man left behind. He served the Lord faithfully for so many years. Continue to keep that family in your prayers. But thank you. Many of you pitched in with a meal and sent them encouraging messages and so forth. Thank you for your care and concern for them. All right, Exodus chapter 25. And beginning at verse number 8. Exodus 25 and verse 8. I'd like to preach to you, as you can see on your outline, about the overlooked parts of the local church. It might be somewhat of an odd starting place to go all the way back to Exodus for that. So let me lay the groundwork for you. Exodus 25 and verse number 8. God says here, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God has commanded Moses and he is to command Israel build a structure where we can meet with, hear from, enjoy and worship the Lord. That's our jumping off spot this morning. If I can't ask you to please bow your heads with me let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, just as you commanded your people all those years ago to build a sanctuary where you could dwell among them. Today, Father, that's why we've gathered. We have gathered to worship. And Lord, we want to meet with you. We want to hear from you. Please speak to our hearts. Use me, Father, simply as a vessel to communicate the message to your people. And Lord, might the seed today fall on good ground. And we ask for your assistance, your presence, and your time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Moses has been on the mount for 40 days, 40 nights, and the first thing he does when he comes down, God says, go take up an offering, (laughs) which uh, usually that's an awkward place to start, right? He says, first things first, go take up an offering. Why? We have a building project. And God says, I want you to make me a sanctuary because I want to dwell among the people. Look at chapter 29. Chapter 29 and verse, I'm so sorry, I've said 29, I meant 28. Or did I? This is one of the problems that I've been having recently. Hang on, slight adjustment. Now I can see it, okay. Yeah, it's chapter 29 for sure. Yeah, I had it right the first time. Chapter 29, verse 42. This is what getting old looks like, amen. (laughs) Chapter 29, verse 42. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. Where I will meet you to speak there unto thee. Wouldn't we like for that to happen this morning? God says this is the main purpose of having this building, having this structure, so that we can gather together and I can meet with you 
speak to you. Verse number 43, And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So he has punctuated this point before he explains all the things that need to be built and then right in the middle of it and you would see this again as you continue on through Exodus God is continually reminding them why are we building this structure how does this equate to the New Testament take your Bibles to Ephesians if you would you can keep a hand in Exodus we will come back to that Ephesians chapter 2 as you go through the Bible you will find a consistent occurrence when God offers a man or a group of people special revelation he comes down and gives them information that they could not have learned simply by observing the creation or paying attention to their conscience but God injects new or special truth such as he did with Noah right Noah could not have discerned that a flood was coming simply by studying the trees. He wouldn't have known that just by his conscience. God said, a flood's coming. Here's how you're going to preserve life. And then as Noah came out of the ark, we read that he built an altar. He built a structure to, can we use the word commemorate? To memorialize? This is a special event where God stepped in and spoke to me. God showed me something special and I don't ever want to forget that. Now, Noah built an altar. God built a rainbow and said, every time you see this rainbow, you're going to be reminded of this time that I stepped in and did something special for mankind. Even though my wrath had waxed hot, I still had mercy and preserved the human race through Noah. You see it again with Abraham. Get out of thy country, get away from thy kindred, go to the land that I will show thee of. When he arrived at the land of Canaan, you know what he did? Genesis 12, verse 7, the Bible says he built an altar. He built a structure to commemorate. God showed me something special. I don't ever want to forget that God spoke to me. Isaac did the same thing for much the same reason. Then you have Jacob with this classic story as he's leaving home to find a wife. You might remember he fell asleep on the, pil- uh, on the rocks as a pillow and he dreamt and he saw the ladder stretching up to heaven and when he woke up he said, surely the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. You know what he did? He took those, those stones and he set them upright and made it look like a pillar, anointed it, and said, if God brings me back to this place, this will be the house of God. And I'll offer and I'll worship. And he commemorated the place. He built a structure to say this place is special. And likewise, we see with Moses now, build me a sanctuary. You say, well, Brother Mike, I see where this is going. When we get into the New Testament, we need to build a church. Right? This would be a great springboard into that plea for, please, let's take up an offering and build our church building. I'm going to be abundantly honest with you. It would be a perfect time for me to say, come on, folks, let's build that building. 
in the New Testament, it's not about bricks and mortar. It's not. In the New Testament, look at Ephesians 2 and verse number 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye, speaking to the Gentiles, who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he, Jesus, is our peace, who hath made both one. Who, who is the both? Jews and Gentiles. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the hatred, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Now I want to just drive that home because we're going to circle back to that thought. When Jesus died on the cross, he removes the Old Testament ordinances. They are nailed to the cross with him. And he says, now there's really no difference between Jew and Gentile. In Christ, they are one. And he has made one new man. We call that man the body of Christ, right? Christ is all and in all. Verse 16, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, that's the Gentiles, and to them that were nigh, that's the Jews. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. You see, there's not a Gentile way to God and then a Jewish way to God. There's one way to God. Jesus said, I am that way. I am the truth, I am the life, and there's no way to the Father but by me. Verse 19, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And are built, built, here's the building project, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. You see, it's a spiritual building that God's interested in. Verse 22, in whom ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. The purpose of the New Testament church is the same as the Old Testament sanctuary. Build this structure so that I can dwell among my people. Now those of you that have been with us for a while, you understand that in the New Testament there are two kinds of churches, right? And only two. There's the universal church that is called the body of Christ, made up of all saved people from the day of Pentecost until now. But then we also have the local church. Now we have a macro and a micro version. The macro is the universal church, the body of Christ. And what God desires to do through that universal church is supposed to be carried out by each local church just on a smaller scale. So the truth that we're reading about the universal body of Christ in Ephesians 2, it is also applicable to our local assembly point. Why do we come together? Why do we meet and, and worship and pray and sing. We want the Holy One to come down. 
We want to meet with him. We want to hear from him. We want him to speak to our hearts. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3 verse 15 that the the church of the living God, which is the house of God, it is a pillar and ground of the truth. A pillar. Just like Jacob took his pillow and turned it into a pillar, He anointed it, said this is a special place. The Lord came down and met with me. I wasn't even expecting so much. Now I want this to happen again and again and again. Therefore, I am going to sanctify time in my week and a place in my life where I can go and find the presence of God. Jesus said like this in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered together, In my name, there am I in the midst of them. So we understand that God coming down to meet with us on a corporate level, he can do this individually. You know that, right? Right? You do know that he can meet with you individually. But he can also, and he does desire to meet with us corporately. He wants us to come together, be fitly builded together so that he can manifest himself through us as a local church. So the command that I believe we want to focus on this morning, build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among my people, the command is not so much build me a beautiful building, but rather build yourselves, not only individually, but as a group, build yourselves as a local church so that I can manifest my presence through your assemblies and thereby show others what is possible, that they also can enjoy the presence of God, that they can also find peace so the two can become one, so that two Uh, warring factions can be reconciled and we can come nigh through the blood of Christ so if you would take your Bibles to Exodus chapter 26 there are many things that are necessary to have a strong productive local church today we are only going to touch on a few of them and we're going to use Exodus chapter 26 to do that As you read through this portion of Scripture, I must admit it gets a bit slow. Exodus 25, take up an offering. Right away, 99% of the the uh, body of Christ, (laughs) they're gone. Take up an offering. He's not speaking to me. That's Old Testament. That's Jewish. I know how to rightly divide. I don't have to give. (laughs) It's one of the dangers of knowing your Bible, right? (laughs) You you know all the loopholes. (laughs) But Exodus 25 isn't so, so bad. You're reading about the Ark of the Covenant and the table of showbread and the candlestick. And if you've been around preaching much, you know that these are wonderful types of various things throughout the Bible. The the tabernacle was built and all of the furniture in the tabernacle was built after the pattern of things in heaven. So when you're reading about this structure, you are reading about the floor plan of heaven. Oh, this portion of Scripture actually goes so, so deep. And we read about the Ark of the Covenant. That's a picture of the throne of God. The table of showbread. Bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The table of showbread is a picture of the word of God. The candlestick, a picture of the Holy Spirit. The altar of incense, a wonderful picture of prayer. 
And on and on it goes with all the furniture of the tabernacle. And we, can, we have spent uh, several lessons discussing that. But then when you get to chapter 26, you read about two things. Curtains and boards. <laughs> and once again, you think, what does this have to do with me? Listen, when you read about the furniture, as I've just explained to you, the throne of God, the spirit of God, did you know it doesn't stop there? You can also learn from those articles, those pieces of furniture, they can also typify things in the church. They can typify things in your personal life. You could go on and on with with what you could learn from these things, but then when we get to chapter 26 and got curtains and boards, you think, uh, just skip right over that. Our daughter Amy is reading through her Bible. She's in the book of Exodus right now. This week she came to mom and said, Mom, I found chapter 26. Mom, what are we supposed to do with this? How do, how do we deal with, do we just, do we have to read it? <laughs> Legitimate question. Because, wow, a lot of these chapters are starting to get a little bit boring. Fair enough. You know, right in the middle of the book of Exodus, you have Pharaoh and his army going into the Red Sea, you know, when the waters are parting, and the Bible says God troubled the chariots and the wheels came off. That's right about where the wheels come off for everybody as they read through the Bible. Get right to there, you're like, oh man, this is exciting. Okay, now go build this. Really? Oh man, we were doing so good. We had such good momentum and er, crashing halt. So yes, these articles of furniture, very interesting. You read about Aaron the priest being dressed in his holy garments and anointed with oil and it's a wonderful picture of Jesus, our great high priest. You can immediately see some application to present day things. But then when you get to the curtains and the boards, Amy's question rings loudly. What do we do with this? Are we to be extremely interested? Is there a lot of application for us now? By the grace of God, for a few minutes, I want to take what I can only say as a creative look at chapter 26. And I'd like to use this chapter because it is the structure, right? The curtains and the boards. It is the structure of this building, of this tabernacle. And I would like to think of this as structure for the local church. Some integral parts that you must have in order to give the building good integrity so that it stands the test not only of time but of the wilderness through which we walk this tabernacle had to go 40 years round and round in a desert it had to be built properly in order to make it we're going to break this chapter into two parts on your outline I've given you just some of you have number one and two and God help me I I I'm almost sure I fixed this, but it came out incorrect. Some of you have numbers three and four. It's not as if you have the second half of the sermon. Okay, you don't. It should be one and two. There's two points to the sermon. Number one, curtains that cover. Curtains that cover. And this is verses one to 14. Verses one to 14. And we will take a longer look in just a moment. Let me quickly say what I'm trying to get at by curtains that cover They offer protection from the elements of the wilderness. Let me say that another way. Protection from the world. 
One of the things that a strong local church should do is offer those that come near it protection from this present evil world. The scorching sun, the wind storms, the sand blowing in, the rain falling, the local church should offer protection. Number two, boards that stand. Boards that stand. This will be verses 15 to verse 30. Now, as you can see, the chapter goes on, verse 31 on down. But then you're actually dealing with something entering into the tabernacle, and and that's maybe a story for another time. Boards that stand, why emphasize that? When you stand these boards up, now listen, not just one board. You have to have all of the boards doing their job. When you stand all of the boards in their prescribed places, according to a predetermined plan, what you have is a perfect structure. The local church should offer structure. What do I mean by structure? When I say structure, you're, you're showing, according to my environment, this is the correct posture and position that we should take. This is how we orient ourselves in the environment in which we find ourselves. So when all the boards stand where they should, you can take a look at it and say, okay, I can see what the purpose of this building is. So the local church should be offering the right position and posture in relation to the world, and we should be informing people of its purpose. Why are we here? Why do we meet? Why is it important to take this stand? So those are the two things we're going to concentrate on this morning. Let's begin to walk through this. Point number one, curtains that cover. Verse number one, moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet with cherubims of cunning work shalt thou make them. Please, if you would, just refer to the outline that you have in your hands. I'm sorry that they're so small. Just so that you know, I'm not playing favorites. I can't see it either, okay? (laughs) But some of you with younger eyes, maybe you can do better than, than me. I've given you five different pictures. The one I'm going left to right, you have the entire bird's eye view or a bit of a bird's eye view of the entire structure, the outer tent or the outer uh, 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 wall, if you will. Then you can see the tabernacle with a curtain stretched over it. There's the altar of burnt offering, the laver, small little laver in between. All right, the next picture over is actually what we're reading about now, the curtains and how they were sewed together and then coupled together. And then the next picture to that is a board with two tenons underneath and a socket of silver on the ground. The picture to the right of that is the corner board. You might have to strain to see that a bit, but we'll talk more about it in a moment. And then the longer picture at the bottom. This is a cutaway of the tabernacle. That's a bit hard to see. It was the best I could do. I'm sorry. But if you were to look at the south end of the tabernacle and pull the curtains up and take the boards away, that is what you would see. You might be able to make out there's a priest walking just, he's a little bit before the altar of incense and he's making his way towards the Ark of the Covenant. What we're reading in chapter 26 and verse 1, you stand all the boards up, the first layer that goes over this structure the first curtain that goes over, is a beautiful work of art. 
This was very high-priced material. They're using blue, purple, scarlet, fine twine linen, and then cherubims sewed into the, the, the tapestry. Beautiful work. This would be the equivalent, you know, the, the ancient version of the Sistine Chapel. When you walked into the tabernacle and look up, the ceiling is decorated with this beautiful artistry. Now, the tabernacle was covered initially by that, but God did not stop there. Starting in verse 7, you see there's more layers. And thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair to be a covering upon the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shalt thou make. So we have goat's hair. Look at verse 14. And thou shalt make a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red and a covering of badger's skins. So what you have, you have the board standing up. The first curtain goes over it. It acts as the ceiling for the inside of the tabernacle. Then the next layer is made of goat's hair. Then another of ram's, ram skin, let's say, goat skin, then ram skin dyed red. And then on the top, you have a badger's skin. As you walk into this structure, all you would see, you wouldn't see the ugly goat skin or this badger skin, which is a very dark brown or even black. When you walk in, remember the only light source in the building would be the candlestick and the altar and then the altar of incense with a small fire on it. And then when you go into the most holy place, you have the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God manifested as fire. So it would illuminate the ceiling, which is this beautiful curtain. And when you look up, you would see cherubims sewed into the fabric. What would you immediately begin to think? You set your affections on things above. It gives you a taste of heaven. You walk into this building and all you can think is, man, that's impressive. These folks, when they get together to worship God, man, look at the time and the effort they put into this and the light shining perfectly on it to illuminate and get you to think about heaven. A local church, when it assembles, when you enter into the assembly and hear the people singing and hear and see and feel the people praying even in the time of the offering amen when the people give cheerfully amen you can feel something's going on that man God must be moving on their hearts look at how these people are even in this time of of departing with their money they enjoy this as you sit through the preaching and people are engaged and nodding and saying amen and enjoying and making notes and all of a the sudden there's something special going on during that service. And I, I want to circle back to that point of singing. Oh, what a blessing it is to get together and sing. Guys, if you do it right, it stirs your heart. So I don't feel anything. Sing louder. Amen. Sing louder. You'll feel something. So I still don't feel anything. Put one hand in the air. <laughs> Amen. You'll start to feel something. You will. Oh, oh some of you are like, oh, I'd never do that. Yeah, you're scared of the feeling, aren't you? <laughs> lift your hearts, lift your voices, lift your hands. I mean, you even put it in the Urvinen's lead, right? 
Well, don't you sing something about Honda up no bua, right? You put them up. You know, and then people said, no, no, Ons is still the kerk. Well, then why'd you write that song? <laughs> when a local church gets together, sings, prays, gives, listens to the teaching and preaching, what that local church should be doing is giving you a taste of heaven, a heaven, turning and setting your affection on things above. I purposely chose the song today. We want to turn your eyes upon Jesus and cause you to look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth which we're trying to protect you from will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's the purpose of this initial covering. We need a break from the world, amen. We need to get away from everything we've been dealing with all week. And we need to step into a place where we just leave the world behind. And let's just focus our attention on God and his word and his son and his spirit and his people. And let's just, let's just enjoy heaven for a little while. The local church should be a place that protects you, gives you a chance to breathe, gives you a taste of heaven. You say, what about that? The next three layers, the goat skin. When you look at how the goat was used in the Old Testament, specifically Leviticus 16, it was used on the Day of Atonement, and it was a sacrifice for sin, meant to cleanse the nation, to cleanse God peop God's people from their sin so that they can be reconciled to God and enjoy His fellowship fully. The ram was used, that next layer, the ram skin was used as a dedication offering. You can read this in Leviticus 1. That burnt offering was meant to show that God, I'm giving myself wholly and completely to you. Every part of the animal was put on the altar during the burnt offering. And then you have the badger. You don't read much about badgers and their skin in the Bible, but you do have one indication in Ezekiel 16 why, or let's say what they used the badger skin for. It was a very durable, very durable uh, skin. So this leather that the badger would provide, the Bible says in Ezekiel 16, they made shoes out of it. It was a durable item so that they could journey through the land. And that, that shoe, that leather shoe would last. Here's what we need. The local church, yes, when you step in, provides you a taste of heaven. But when you step out and take a look at this church, this building, you know what you see? A very durable, tough, leathery skin. The first layer, you need an atonement. You need a sacrifice for your sins. You need to be saved. Second layer, you need to be dedicated. Third layer, and the outmost layer, you need to be durable. You need a thick skin, amen, because as you journey through the wilderness and set up shop and say, here we are, we're going to worship the Lord, the elements of the wilderness do not care. The wind will still blow, the rain will still fall, the sun will still continue to scorch. And we have to protect ourselves from the elements of the wilderness. An unjust set of lockdown regulations, brother, sister, that's just the beginning. 
we read our Bibles correctly, it's not as if the world is going to accept Christianity more and more. The time is coming that you're going to have to decide, am I in or am I out? Am I willing to follow Christ completely? Not just get saved, goat skin, get dedicated, the whole thing on the altar, that's the ram, and then get a thick skin and say, I'm going to endure unto the end. I know this is going to cost me something, and I know the world is going to fight back. But the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy of my best effort. And no matter what happens, no matter what the weather's like, I'm going to keep pressing through. In chapter 26, in verse number 2, the length of one curtain shall be eight and twenty cubits. The breadth of one curtain, four cubits, and every one of the curtains shall have one measure. So all the curtains the same size. Twenty-eight cubits. This is a cubit. Elbow to fingertip, that's a cubit, all right, thereabouts. So this is approximately half a meter. So if you ever want to do the math quickly, changing from cubits to meters, just cut the cubits in half, you have the meters. So this is 14 meters long and 2 meters wide. Now this, diagram number 2 on the bottom of the outline, it is showing you what verse 2 is explaining, verses 2 and 3 actually. You have five curtains, 14 meters long, two meters wide, five curtains sewed together. <clears throat> and then on the other side, another five curtains sewed together. Read with me, starting in verse number three. The five curtains shall be coupled together one to another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled one to another. And thou shalt make loops of blue upon the edge of the one curtain from the selvage in the coupling. Just look here quickly, if you would. The selvage, don't worry. Sermon illustration. This is the selvage in the coupling. Right? Armand, are you getting a close-up of this? God help the people at home. <laughs> this is the selvage, right? And then this is the loop. And then this, we're going to read in a moment, would be the tack that connects it. Right? Just to give you an idea of what, what you're dealing with in the passage. So he says, in, in the middle of verse 4, And likewise shalt thou make in the uttermost edge of another curtain in the coupling of the second. Fifty loops shalt thou make in the one curtain, and fifty loops shalt thou make in the edge of the curtain, that is, in the coupling of the second, that the loops may, help me here, what should the loops do? May what? Are you with me, folks? Verse number 5. The, the loops may take hold one of another watch the verbs as we go through this passage that the that they may take hold in verse number six and thou shalt make 50 tacks of gold and couple the curtains together with the tacks and it shall be one tabernacle so in the diagram, you can see five curtains sewed together, another five curtains sewed together, and then down the middle, you have a seam, if you will, made up of these 50 golden tacks or hoops that have been connected through the loops of each side, and now it creates one solid structure. What did we read earlier in the book of Ephesians? That through the blood of Christ, the two, the twain, have been made one. There are two sides, Jew Gentile, but in Christ we find complete and perfect unity. Isn't that something? And I don't care which way you want to divide it. You say, well, there's black and then there's white, but in Christ we can find perfect unity. 
You say, you know, the problem is racism. The problem is not so much racism. That is a problem, by the way, but that's not so much the problem. The problem is people. Because you can get people of all the same color, same language, same culture, and put them in a room, and you know what's going to happen? They'll find a reason to break apart. What side of town you live on? Oh, yeah, you're one of those uptown people. Right? That's just how humanity is. We find a reason to break apart. Shame on us for that. The local church was built so that two groups that are different, different cultures, different language, different backgrounds, we find some commonality in Christ. Christianity claims to be able to reconcile, watch this, people to God and people to people. Do you realize the claim we're making? Listen to this again. Think of how difficult this is. Make things right between people and God, people and people. That's a big claim. That is a big claim. Notice in chapter 28, verse 3, watch the verb. The five curtains shall be coupled together one to another, and other five curtains shall be coupled one to another. Do you see the verb that coupled together? That's the purpose of the curtain, to get two parts together husband and a wife not getting along let's get them together parents and children not getting along get them together boss and a boy get them together we claim Jesus claimed the Bible claims we have a way to make these two erring sides one again when you enter into this tabernacle and you look up what would immediately grab your attention is the beauty of it the cherubims and rightfully so but if you look close enough you would eventually see five solid pieces five solid pieces if you look close you'll see hey looky there 50 tacks 50 clasps holding this thing together these are this is actually two separate entities but it's held perfectly together 50 loops of it if you walk out of the tabernacle, you'd see the exact same thing if you look close enough. From a distance, you wouldn't see it. But if you got close enough and investigate, these are two separate things, but held together. If I can turn your attention to the outline, I've given you two verses from John chapter 17. I want you to see what was on Jesus' heart right before he went into the garden of Gethsemane and eventually to his death. John 17, 21, Jesus prayed this. He was talking to the Father that they all may be one. Speaking about his disciples, he said, Father, my desire is that they would be one. Why is this such a big deal to have unity in not just the body of Christ, but in the local church? Why? That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Our unity is now integral for reaching the world. The world, as they come close and give us a, a deep and thorough examination, what if they step into the local church and they hear some singing, they see some giving, they hear some preaching, but then one side of the curtain is pulled away and the other side is sliding off the back end, back sliding off the back end of the tabernacle. Amen. 
and the other side is falling out the front because they're getting ahead of everybody and they're not working together, what do you think that that lost person is going to walk away feeling and thinking? They're going to you're going to say, wait a minute, they claimed to be able to reconcile people to God and people to people, but look at this mess. Yes, there is a form of godliness, but they're denying the power thereof. They're not taking the necessary steps to stick together. How could it be that the priest would allow the tabernacle to fall into tatters? Let's get this thing back together and the same thing if they look from without just passing by and see that the tabernacle is splitting apart, they're not even going to be tempted to walk in. I've given you another verse just underneath the one I've already read. Jesus continues by saying, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Why? And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. If somebody from the outside steps into a local church and they see black, white, Indian, they, they see colored, they see all these different cultures and languages, they step in and they say, okay, this is a recipe for disaster. And they walk in and they see this one and that one and this guy that lives on that side of town, this one that lives on the other side of the tracks, high income, low income, well-educated, no-educated, they step in and they go, wow, look at this. No one is worried about worldly status or reputation. This one loves that one. This one's treating this one equally well. This is amazing. Where did you guys learn to get along? The world is desperately looking for a way to get along with people. If you think about it, folks, and it doesn't take long to realize this, the problem with the world is they don't know how to reconcile their relationships to God or to Man, if they step into the local church and find that place employing the words of Christ. And that's all we have to do, folks, to employ the words of Christ, to do what he taught us to do. He'll find us loving one another. There's a song we sing, Blessed be the tie that binds us. What, is, what are those 50 tacks that hold us together? Listen, why didn't Moses say, uh, let's just build three golden rings and hold the whole thing together? Could you imagine if our fellowship was held together by just three rings? One ring breaks and man, you're in danger of losing the whole thing. God didn't say just three. He said put 50 in there. That's how important it is. I can find 50 reasons to stick with you. One thing comes up. Can you believe she said that? one thing and that person's human she or he made one mistake okay we got 49 other reasons to stick together we got a backup plan to preserve our unity that's how important it is to God 50 tax 50 reasons at least to stick together can I continue with you let's look now at verses number 15 on down to 30 we'll take a look at the boards that stand the boards that stand. We need protection, amen, from the world. And that protection is offered by turning our affections to things above and the unity that we should have one side to another. It protects us. 
It covers us. And then the boards that stand, verse 15, thou shalt make boards for the tabernacle of Shedem wood standing up. Notice the verb there. What are the boards doing? Standing up. The boards take a stand. And in this world that is ever shifting in their views of right and wrong, this, this world that offers no absolutes that tell you to find yourself and find your truth and define your own existence, you can make up the reason why you're here. And this, in the shifting sand of this world, it is the, responsibil- the responsibility of the local church, as Jesus said, to be a city set on a hill. We take our stand. We say, this is what Christ told us to do. He and his words are the solid rock, and on that solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. But I stand for what Christ said. I believe in what he said and what he did and who he was. And I, I, I have accepted it. I've put it into practice. I know that it works, and I'm not moving off this position. It's it's of the utmost importance that we continue to take the stand when the world, I want to say, amps up its efforts to blow us down. The old saying is, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for everything. It's dangerous to take a stand, right? You take a stand and right away you make yourself a target. Listen, if you're a board and you don't want to get hit, lay down. Just lay down. If you're the one board standing up in a, in a desert filled with boards laying down, you become the target. You become the point of interest. Everybody's staring at you. What are you doing standing up? You freak. Lay down like the rest of them. Whap! You make yourself a target. It's not easy to take a stand. Let me point this out quickly, though. A, a board trying to stand by itself, how long do you think it will stand? You take any size two by four, stand it in a desert, it's not going to stand for long. And yet we have people that profess to be Christians and, and they say, I don't need the local church. I'll do fine on my own to stand. Not for long, you won't. Not for long. Let's get the dimensions of this in verse 16. Ten cubits shall be the length of a board. So you just cut it in half, that's five meters One board, five meters high. That's slightly tall. That's slightly tall. That's one heck of a board. And it says a cubit and a half shall be the breadth of one board. So it's five meters tall and 0.75 or three-fourths of a meter wide. That is one, that's just one board. You know, you said... I don't think I can make that big of a difference. Five meters by almost a meter wide. I'm not, I'm not going to make that big of a difference. It's not the person taking the stand. It's what you stand for. It's what you stand for that makes the difference. There, as you continue through the passage, you can see in verse 18, I'm just going to give you some of the numbers here. Thou shalt make the boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards on the south side, southward. And then in verse 20, the second side is the north. And then verse 23, and the two boards, I'm sorry, verse 22, and the sides of the uh, tabernacle westward 
Thou shalt make six boards. So if I can quickly explain how it works, you enter into the tabernacle through the east. Right? And then as you enter in, you, the back side of the tabernacle would then be the west. Six boards on that. The south and the north, those are the long sides of the tabernacle. Twenty boards on each side. So this, this tabernacle goes for quite, quite a ways. Now this structure... As you see it stand, one other thing we'll talk more about, there are corner boards in verse 23. I tried to get ahead of myself there. So one extra board on each of the the corners here, the northwest and southwest corners. So a number of boards. So what do we learn from that? You can't stand alone. God never intended it that way. We are interdependent on one another. We are. If I can, just skip down, because I want to take a little bit of time in the middle of this passage. look with me at verses 29 and 30 and thou shalt overlay the boards with gold and make their rings of gold for places for the bars and thou shalt overlay the bars with gold and thou shalt rear up the tabernacle according to the fashion thereof which was showed thee in the mount these boards five meters by almost a meter covered in gold that's an impressive thing Notice, however, <clears throat> sorry, if you look at the diagram on the bottom, you can see, look at the back side of the diagram, or the, be on the left side of the page. You see how the curtain is hanging down over the building? Now, without trying to explain all the math behind it, please feel free to work this out later for yourself. The, the curtain is 28 meters long. Now, that's the innermost curtain. Or, uh, yes, the outer layers are even longer. They're 30 cubits long. And instead of five and five coupled together, it's five and six. There's a bit of an overhang in the front. So meant to make sure they protect that beautiful covering within that acts as a ceiling. Now, when you have 30 meters, that more than covers the boards. As you can see in the picture, uh, the first diagram and the last diagram, those curtains would hang down and cover those golden boards. Do you see that? Why make the boards gold? Hardly anyone's going to see it. You know, from a building cost point of view, eh, maybe we don't put gold. Stainless steel, maybe? Something, something else, but do you have to use gold? Why put something so precious and expensive on those boards that are not going to be seen by hardly anyone? As you read through the Bible, gold always represents one of two things, either royalty or deity. Royalty, royalty or deity. <clears throat> That's why God uses gold to make the streets where he's going to be forever. Royalty or deity. When we think of these boards taking a stand covered in gold, what that is a picture of is you as an individual Christian having a godly life, living above the world, living a royal life according to the royal law. That's in the book of James. Love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the royal law. This is godly, sanctified living. It's impressive living. It's something that would get the attention of those around you and say, wow, look at how beautiful this life has become. Once it took a stand for God and employed his words, mercy, this is beautiful. He said, but but Brother Mike, no one sees it. It's still right to do, even though no one sees it. 
Because here's what the local church, sometimes we tend to do this. Well, no one sees us. We're just a small group of people. We're not very popular and you know, not a lot of people drive by and see what's going on. Let's still have godly sanctified lives. Let's still live above the world according to that royal commandment. Let's still live lives that are worthy of being called children of the king. It doesn't matter how often they see it. God sees it. And therefore, cover the boards in gold all the same. Now, a board trying to stand by itself is not going to get very far. Therefore, it needs support. And you'll see now the boards have a support structure. Look with me at verse 17. Two tenons shall there be in one board, set in order one against another. Thus shalt thou make for all the boards of the tabernacle. Tenons, what are those? Diagram number three on your outline. You can see the board and then two pegs, if you will, coming down out of the board. Those are the tenons. Now, the tenons by themselves are helpful, but they're not going to make that much of a difference. You need something to put the pegs into. Hence, verse 19. And thou shalt make 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards, two sockets under one board for his two tenons, and two sockets under another board for his two tenons. Every board, two tenons, two sockets. Let me present it like this. And as I told you at the beginning, I'm getting a little creative here. God in the Old Testament, he listed out 613 laws, commandments, precepts, a lot of stuff. Those 613 can be funneled down and presented in a nice, fitly framed package of 10 commandments. Right? I'm the Lord your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And on it goes. The 10 commandments, we're familiar with those. But those 10 commandments, you can break them down further into two main commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two commands. What is going to keep us rooted and grounded in this world? Following those two commands. Where do I focus my attention? What will help me stand strong? Each and every board needs its own tenons. The silver sockets, that is God commanding it of us. A socket leaves an opening. When God gives a command, it offers an opening for obedience. And the sockets remain empty until an individual comes and obeys the command. We call it fulfilling the command. There's an opening. There's an opportunity. I have a chance to fill that socket. A socket is absolutely useless until something fills it. Otherwise, why is it there? The commandments of God are absolutely useless and make no difference in your life until you firmly plant your two tenons. God, I love you and I love my fellow man. And on that I stand. The New Testament takes it a step further even. Jesus acknowledged that those were the two great commands. But in 1 John 3, verse 23, it breaks it down further. How can we properly love the Lord our God? John says it like this. And this is his commandment, two parts, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. As time has gone on, God has revealed more and more. He's narrowed it down to say, this is precisely how you can show your love towards me. I loved you so much, I sent my son 
to pay for your sins, now our relationship is dependent on what you do with my son. How do I love God properly? It starts by believing on his son, Jesus Christ. And the natural outcome of that is then to love one another as he loved us. On those two commands, we take our stand. Let me ask you this. If each of the 20 boards, I'm talking just one side now, takes a stand and says, I'm going to do my level best to love God, love my brother. I'm going to do it the way Christ taught me to do it. I'm standing. And then I look to the board left of me, look to the board right of me, say, you standing? Yep, I'm standing. Hey, sister, you standing? I'm standing. So I did my best sister impersonation. <laughs> what do you want? If I said I'm standing, that would be even weirder, right? So give me a little, give me a little uh, uh, grace there. I'm standing. I'm standing. All right, we're standing. How long are we going to stand? Well, long, we would stand longer for having been rooted and grounded in the sockets. But as soon as a hefty enough wind comes, we will all fall together. Because there's nothing holding us together. I'm doing my best. You doing your best? Yes, I'm doing my best. Do you see that sandstorm coming? Yeah. You see those dark gray clouds? It's about to get tough in here. Yeah. Good luck. Oh, and we all fall down. <laughs> right? That's how that would go. So the tenons and the sockets are helpful, but not the whole story. Let's further, there's support. God built this intending for there to be support. Uh, look with me at chapter 26, verse 23. And two boards shalt thou make for the corners of the tabernacle in the two sides. So the two sides would be the northwest corner and the southwest corner. He says in verse 24, And they shall be coupled together beneath, and they shall be coupled together above the head of, uh, the head of it unto one ring. Thus shall it be for them both they shall be for the two corners and they shall be eight boards so on the west side the back side of the tabernacle there are six boards but then you put two extra boards on the back making it eight boards he says that they shall be eight boards and their sockets of silver 16 sockets two sockets under one board two sockets under another board this is diagram four all the way on the right hand side of the outline you can see where the south end meets the west End, so this is the southwest corner and there's an extra board and at the top you can see some pegs coming up and then a ring of gold that holds these things together I'm going to say it like this we got 20 boards lined up on the south then you got 20 boards on the north but then you have six boards running perpendicular to this and they meet at a corner so some boards are kind of going this way right they have a different status in life. Their lives move in a different direction. Not spiritually, mind you, but they don't have the same job or the same opportunities or the same education. Their life is moving in, in a different direction. How are we going to get this wall and this wall to meet up and stand strong? We need some people in the body of Christ to act as peacemakers. To say, you're doing it this way, you're doing it this way. Both of you serve a purpose, although it looks different. One's going sideways, the other's going straight. You guys can get along. Let's hold this thing together. I, I, I even thought maybe to present it like this, that some points, at some point in life, you're going to meet a turning point 
where you're heading this way for a long time and then life just gives you one of those big decisions and you have to make a turn and you need somebody there to support you when you hit one of those turning points. Now, either way, at some point in life, you need a corner board. You need to lean on somebody else for extra support to say, I have found a difficult spot in life. I'm not sure where I'm going to go, but I have to turn. I can't keep going this direction. I've run out of boards. <laughs> I got to go this way. Now, listen, this won't work for you, but it works for me. This is just me preaching. I'm not teaching you anything now. I read this, and I, I got something special because here I went in my life, 20 years, 20 boards, 20 years, I got saved. You know what happened? Turning point. Everything changed. Oh, big change, big change, massive change. And God gave me several corner boards, pastors, friends that helped me make that transition and help me start to fit in with the other boards that were moving this way to say, you can make this change. You know how long it was? I went six more boards. Sorry, cameraman. I'm not going far. I went six more boards, six more years. You know what happened after that? I moved to Africa. That was a big change. That was a turning point. And praise God, there were corner boards. Brother Dobbins was one of them. Several pastors in the States, they kept sending advice. I had corner boards to say, you're going through a big change. We'll help you through this. Now, I, I'm not quite there yet. I'm going this direction. I'm on board number 19. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen when I get to 20. Will there be another turn? Will I go into the tabernacle and find the presence of God in a new way? I don't know. I'll, I'll deal with that when I get to it. All I know is every time I've had a major turn in life, God has put people in my life to support me. Every single time. You know what we can do for each other in a local church? You find people that have hit that corner, that pivotal moment in life, support each other. Say, we'll help you hold it together at the top and at the bottom will help you continue to stand. There's another part that offered support. The Bible says in verse number 20, 26, is it? Sorry, let me. Yeah, verse 26. Thou shalt make bars of sheetum wood, five for the boards of the one side of the tabernacle and five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the boards of the side of the tabernacle for the two sides westward. And the middle bar in the midst of the board shall reach, shall reach, notice the verb, shall reach from end to end. So on each side, five bars. Right? It sounds strange. Please leave it within its context. But if you're going to stand for Christ, you need a bar. <laughs> five of them. <laughs> sounds strange, right? Leave it in the context. <laughs> Wooden bars covered in gold. <laughs> You know what I found interesting? Five bars, the two on the top did not run end to end, right? They covered a, quite a distance, but then they, they fell short of reaching the ends. The two on the bottom, same thing. The one in the middle ran from end to end. It reached the whole way. Five parts to this support system with the bars running through the rings on the boards. Those of you that have been around, you'll be able to answer this quickly how many parts are there for the gospel in the new testament 
There are five parts to the gospel. There is the law. There is judgment. There is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. There is eternal life. There is hope. Those are the five parts of the gospel as presented in the New Testament. Parts one and two, you've broken the law, you deserve to be judged, necessitates part three, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Because of part three, parts four and five are now possible, eternal life and the hope of heaven. What is the crucial part of the gospel? What is the turning point? What is the climax of it, part three? The part at the bar in the middle? That makes all the difference. You say, what is going to hold all 20 boards together, sitting, standing on the two tenons, in their sockets? We got a corner board and a corner board, but what's going to keep all of us standing in the same position, have the right posture, having that purpose to orient us to our environment? It is the gospel. That is what will unite a local church. We all strive together to make the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ public. I've given you the verse, Philippians 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. So live a life that's worthy of preaching the gospel. A lot of people, listen, don't preach the gospel because they know they're not living up to it. They know that they would be laughed under the table if they begin to mention Christ. So live a life that's worthy of preaching the gospel. He goes on to say that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand, there it is, that ye stand. That's what the boards do, they stand. That ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the what? Gospel. Paul says you're united in purpose. The position, the posture that you take in this world. Everywhere Israel stopped as they journeyed through the wilderness, they were meant to pitch the tabernacle. All the boards standing up, the bars running through it. Why? It's a picture for us of everywhere we go, every place we stop, we take our stand and here's why. Jesus loved me enough to die for me. And it's changed my life. It took me from a fallen position. Now I'm standing for something and it will stand the test of time and having done all, stand. Have your loins girt about. Put your belt on. Where do you put the belt? Right in the middle. (laughs) You put that bar around. This is what's going to hold us together. Christ dying for me, changing my life reconciling me to God, fixing my family, fixing the relationship with my kids, with my, every, everything in my life comes right through him. Why would I not want to tell others about that? Notice again in verse number 20, uh, what is it, 20? Forgive me, my eyes are failing. Verse 28, the middle bar in the midst of the board shall reach from what? Three words. End to End. What did Jesus say right before he went back to heaven? But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Beginning, he says, from Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost end of the earth. What's our job? Send the light 
From sea to shining sea, from shore to shore, we send the light. From end to end, we want to keep reaching out. If we all do it, we hang on to that bar, right? Have you ever heard of somebody saying this, set the bar high? Man, we got a low bar, we got a high bar, we got a middle bar. <laughs> we got all sorts of bars. We, there are so many things we can do to, to uh, propagate, to get that gospel out there. How about you? Have you played your part in holding the local church together, the body of Christ together, by striving together for the faith of the gospel? I want to encourage you today. Take a few moments to examine the curtains and the boards. What could we possibly learn from what could be a very boring passage? Well, the curtains did a good job covering and they stuck together. They were coupled together. The boards took a strong stand, beautiful, even though no one could see it. And they stood for something specific. How about you? How about you? Are you contributing to the local church? Are you making it stronger or weaker? Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'd like for you to please take a few moments and search your heart on this topic. What have you heard today? Heads bowed and eyes closed. What have you heard today that rang loudly in your heart? Said, man, you know, that's, that's not something I'm doing a good job of. As a local church, we want to provide protection from the world. We want to take a stand, but we can't do it alone. Each individual curtain, each board must do its part. And at the same time, recognize you need that curtain next to you. You need that board next to you. And you need to cling on to something strong enough to help you stand, to bind you together. If you thought long and hard enough about it, you'd find 50 reasons to love each other. there's somebody maybe that God has put in your life and they've reached that turning point what can you do for them just be there and stand with them help them through this bear their burden strengthen them we would say I got your back stand behind them I got your back Father, thank you this morning for the privilege of looking at a passage that uh, is often overlooked. Lord, that's why I gave it the name I did, overlooked parts of the local church. These, these things are absolutely necessary. They are essential to us as a local church making a difference in this wilderness. Help us, Lord, as we examine this passage, we also examine our hearts 
show us where we can do a better job both individually and corporately Lord if anybody is here and not saved Lord this is now your time to, to work my words have come to an end Lord would you continue please to speak in that soul in that heart and might that person that man or woman or boy or girl might today be the day they get reconciled to God help us Lord to achieve greater unity help us Lord that the salvation and your atonement the dedication the durability all of these things God let them find application in our lives this week And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.